Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Line of Vienna Suite podcast for episode 151. My name is Tom Jenkins, and I'm joined tonight by James Jarvis, as well as one of our Rewind podcast hosts, Chris Manning. It's nice to be back in the host chair, boys, for this episode after stepping aside for Ed Skelly on his Love Pod preview shows, something I hope everyone has enjoyed. And if you haven't given it a listen, please do. Good way to start off what is likely to be a fairly depressing weekend if you support Bolton Wanderers, but at least the podcast is hopefully the more entertaining part of said weekend. However... Despite the fact that it being nice to be back in the host chair, the topics on discussion tonight aren't all that nice themselves. As Wanderers' start to the season has been a huge disappointment thus far, I think it's fair to say. Four games in, in all competitions, and we have seen four straight defeats. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure one of you two will correct me if, if I am, this is the first time it's ever happened to a Bolton manager throughout history. So not the sort of record that Ian ever intended to set this campaign. Uh, in the last preview pod, we discussed the, the dire performance in the 1-0 defeat against Forest Green, but there are still some issues from that game that seeped into the 2-0 Colchester defeat last weekend, so I think you know, our openness still warrants some discussion. And James, I'll start with you to talk about it, just how poor a showing was that in the first league match, given the optimism surrounding the club at the moment. Uh, Forest Green was purely appalling. I can only recall two two chances that would happen that I think we mentioned Doyle and in Greenwich in the preview pod one mm-hmm. of them should have at least gone in there and then maybe it would have been a different game but outside of that just absolutely appalling there was barely any chance creation a lot of the players just seemed static it was too much passing around the back and not running in space to try and get forward there, there was just almost a sign of nothing and Lo and behold, of course, Forest Green, who, by the way, didn't play that well themselves, but when they had their opportunity, they took it well, and it, yeah, it was frank, it was frankly appalling, and I, uh, it, it, it really spoiled our delusions of grandeur, didn't it? That we were just going to absolutely hop aboard the HMS Pistol League and <laughs> run away with the title and have it in have the trophy by March, didn't it? It was rather a wake-up call. I think it's probably the most polite way I can describe it because in the aftermath of that game, I just felt so deflated and, and so depressed because I didn't, I didn't see it coming, frankly. Chris, did you see it coming? Well, I'd be lying if I said yeah, but also with the kind of masochistic element of, of my Bolton Wanderers supporting psyche, it, it was maybe a, a kind of niggling feeling to the back of my mind that all these pre-season games against the Dog and Duck and Loughborough University under-13s wasn't quite the, the new dawn that maybe we all hoped it to be. But I, I echo exactly what you guys said. Uh, as soon as the game finished, I was talking to a couple of mates over text or whatever, and it's just like, Jesus Christ, it needs to it, it needs to improve because that's not the new dawn I was promised. Um, my own fault, probably partially, for getting a bit carried away, just as most Bolton fans are, I'm sick of being rubbish and any kind of positive talk would immediately make me think that we were the, the second coming of Barcelona. Um, but yeah, well, you could hopefully put it down to early day nerves and the team getting to know each other, but, but then the next match happened. Exactly. I think the point has been made quite a bit in general media and also among Lana Vienna writers and also general Bolton fans that Barrow had seven points from their first nine games or something last season and went on to win the title whether or not that was you know, COVID-related and whether that helped them or not, I don't, I don't really know. I've not really looked into it, truth be told. But they all did tell us, didn't they, James, that it was going to be a bit of time before we started to see the fruits of Ian Abbott's labour. But do you not think there's just quite a few fundamental issues there, such as the giving away of really, really sloppy goals, that whether he's trying to implement a new style or not, he probably should be focusing on the basics? Yeah, well, well, we had this problem with Keith as well last year that we just seemed to always shoot ourselves in the foot defensively. It it just seems to be a recurring issue amongst Bolton that whether it's a player not not marking who they should, just completely switching off, or the keeper doing something stupid, or just being way too slow to catch up with the player that we've lost. It it all seems to be recurring. It reoccurring issue I'm I'm hoping like anything else it'll just get fixed over time I mean for God's sake half of Ian Everts transfers have been on bloody defenders so hopefully since the most of them are his players that over time he'll get to work with them more and they'll be more moulded to how he wants to play he was a defender himself he should be able to know 
how to coach a defender at the very least. So, again, well, so is Keith Hill. Yeah, I, I know more about <laughs> Everett's defensive prowess than Keith Hill's, so... But any, but anyway. and Dougie Friedman signed Jermaine Beckford as well, so it, it just goes to show. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, sp- I suppose. But thank, thanks for completely deflating me, lads. I'm trying, I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> I'm trying to what be positive. did you expect? What yeah. did you expect? No, I'm trying to be I, positive. I said, I said in the opening, I said in the prelims, I told you this, what kind of podcast this was going to be. Um, but you're right, though. I think, I think the sloppy goals and defensive stability has been the biggest issue thus far. Chris, do you think it's just caused by poor personnel? Do you think we've recruited badly? Because first impressions, Santos certainly does not look like the uh, well, the marquee defending defensive signing that we seem to no. have thought we got. But you know, he looks like he looks exactly like what he is. He's a player out of non-league who's never really done much in the league. So I think we've also got to be conscious of the fact that we're not signing the finished article. We're not even signing. In some cases, barely even a prospect, you know. I mean, the the the, the fast lad, I can't remember what his name was, the one that came out of non-league football in Norway. I mean, Christ, what what are we expecting? They're the sort of transfers that if they come off, even for, to an average level, is going to be a success story. I, I I just find it really, really tough at the moment to, to reconcile the fact that the reality of where we are and the reality of who we can bring in and what we can afford because you Doyle, Doyle and Sarcevic, people who've got some kind of profile, are complemented by, you know, Dagenham and Redbridge's second choice left back. There's things <laughs> like that that, that are always going to going to come in and, and give you a bit of a reality check, reality check about where we are. And so I just think we just need to maybe maybe buckle in a little bit. I think things are maybe not necessarily going to get better before they get worse. But maybe that's what it needs. That's what needs to happen. Um, these players are only in on fairly short-term deals uh, for, for a decent number of them. And if they don't work, then we try again. So what happens in the lower leagues, you, you churn players in, they come in and they come out, and if they don't work, chuck them away and get a new one. Do you I'm think not we're just expecting upset. too much of them then? I, you know what I think it is? I think I, that's what I think it's partially that. I think it's partially the fact that it is only however many years since we were in the, the Premier League, the Championship, and that's an hard thing to let go of. I'm... 100% guilty of that myself at the same time. You know, you, you think you're going to rock up against whoever we're playing and you're going to batter them because of your, your history and your heritage and it means nothing. Especially when you're playing teams that are, are seasoned at this level with players who are seasoned at this level. I just think it's going to take time. Do you think it's going to take time just for the players or maybe just for the system as well? Because we, it's hard to say whether or not it's whether we've recruited badly or whether we're expecting too much of them or whether or not we're just playing a system that doesn't suit them, isn't mm. it, James? There seems to be a lot of things that's going quite wrong, but, but, but it's hard to pinpoint what's the key problem. Uh, I think Ever might be having some of that pro- problem himself, considering that he switched formation for Colchester. Whether that was do you not, do you not think that's worrying? Because I think it's worrying. Oh, oh, I said as soon as I saw it, I was trying to convince myself that it was still three at the back. But as soon as I saw them play, I was very much proven immediately wrong. I, th- I thought Geffen Jones was going to be used as our right centre back because when Santos moved to the centre against Forest Green, he looked slightly more comfortable even if we didn't make anything happen but he looked slightly more comfortable so I thought yeah we're going to use him there this time but nope instead it was a switch to a 4-4-2 which I've said as much in the line of Vienna chat it it makes it feel like half of our transfer business has been redundant because we signed we signed Gordon and Maskell to be wingbacks not straight up fullbacks and and same with Hickman and Jones and now it feels like we're gonna have to use two or four of those players as wingers going on forward if we decide to stick with this four at the back. But it, then it just leaves other players that were waiting to come back, like Edwards from injury, leaves him in limbo. Where does Ryan Delaney fit into this, etc.? All sorts of players that that possibly maybe could have done a job at some point during this season. It it leaves them feeling wanting. It's, 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 hard, to say, it's hard to say at the moment. I hope he... For, for for some of these players' sakes, I hope he sticks with the three at the back and it will just be a test of patience to get it to work. But at the moment... We've got about eight centre-backs, so he needs to stick with the three at the back, really. <laughs> you th- you'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> maybe maybe he'll have to do a big Sam conversion job and make some of them full-backs or wingers or whatever. It wouldn't show me to see him put some of them in midfield but because we don't really seem to have any kind of defined roles in that midfield anyway, which I think is another key issue because it's all well and good having... Um, you set back three, and then your wing backs allegedly being the ones to uh, 
do the attacking. Although in the Forest Green game, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed as though he wanted the centre-backs to be the ones doing most of the attacking. So it seemed that making the wing-backs completely and utterly redundant. But the problem with the midfield is the fact that you've put three players in there and basically told them to run around like headless chickens, or at least that's what it seems to me. Because whereas you'd expect Comley, wouldn't you, Chris, to be the holding player, he's not really done that. And Sarcevic, mm. maybe the attacking player, he's not really done that either. No, it's it's concerning, isn't it? I mean, I think another element of this is the fact that we're dealing with an untried and an untested manager who's only been around five minutes. So I, I maybe think that the chopping and changing is maybe a sign of his own inexperience. I, I have no doubt that he would dress it up as being something that he's, he's experimenting to find the best way to utilise a bunch of strangers. Um, but yeah, it, it does, you know, to the untrained eye, smack a little bit of try to find your best formation by just trying loads of different things without having any any sort of semblance of a plan. Well, he's been in charge for two months, 10 weeks, something like that. I mean, that's a lot of time to, to work on a plan. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't made a signing for quite a few weeks as well. So this is, you know, this squad is re- be relatively settled, I would have thought. Um, but on the topic of Comley, I've just been disappointed with him in the last few weeks. I um, saw him in, in pre-season and I read the reviews and this, that and the other, and he looked like a very tidy player, you know, nothing fancy, get the ball and move it along, but yeah, that's not that's not what I've seen so far, so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe that's just a matter of him settling down and finding his place, because um, his reputation was quite re- reasonable compared to some of the, the nobodies that we have signed otherwise, um, but then he's just one of many, isn't he, in that midfield, we talk about the defence being all over the show, um, expectations about other ones in there too, maybe have been misplaced, I don't mean in terms of the, the quality, but maybe in terms of the role, uh, pointing back to, to Sarsovic particularly. I don't um, know where he fits in. I think Lee um, said I don't know something what kind very of player he is. about it. Well, mm. Lee, Lee compared him to Kevin Nolan. And I think that is exactly what he, he's going to be trying, sorry, try and be, sort of like a budget Kevin Nolan, the kind of bloke mm. who you don't notice for 89 minutes, but will pop up on the end of a knockdown and score a goal maybe. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that he can he can have that sort of impact at the at the top end. Um, I suppose time time will tell. It's not not a bad comparison. I was about to leave superior knowledge of these players. He he knows far more about them than I do. Um, <laughs> but he, he's one that has had a, a particularly slow start. Not not only with Comley, um, but I guess you could say that about most of them. Exactly. And also, we're, we're led to believe that Sarchevich is uh, one of the players who is out for quite some time, maybe four weeks or so, which uh, is never ideal considering he's the captain and. There didn't really seem to be an awful lot of uh, leadership in the Colchester game, even though well, I'm sure Owen Doyle didn't expect to be thrown in at the deep end like mm. that anyway. Um, but as we've said, the midfield role's not really identified as yet. Tom White has probably been the most consistent performer we'd have said in that midfield thus far. But even then, James, we don't really know where he's supposed to be playing in there. Do you think that it's a bit difficult for Ever to have these midfielders and thrust them in when... For example, White seems to be the kind of person who wants to get on the ball, pass it around to someone a bit more creative, more talented than him. And then if he sees Sarcevic in front of him, doesn't really have any options there. And if he sees Crawford in front of him, maybe Crawford is taking up a position that White would like to be in. It's almost like they're too similar, isn't it? Uh, Possibly. Um, For me, Tom White looks to be the perfect box-to-box player. He has that engine to get up and down the field, but... At the same time, he seems to be playing as the most defensive of the midfielders, which doesn't sit right with me. In my mind, you should either be playing Comley there, or you should be playing um, Toot there as the DM, and then just let him run run back and forth because he does have a good eye for a pass. He can hold the ball all right, and that and that kind of talent would be best served going further forward rather than him having to run all the way back to almost play as a centre back at times, and. Uh, cut and cover for whoever, try and force something to happen, but uh, he's the one that's most familiar with Everett's system at the moment, so so he pretty much has to play. He pretty much has to play at this point, especially if Sarsovic injured, but it seems like he's trying to do everything at the moment because the rest of the players haven't caught up, and it's it's really harming the rest of our game. That's what I mean. I think they're getting in each other's way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's like you say, sometimes they just do need to be told, here, clearly defined, clearly defined role. Brandon, you're going to be the, the DM. Crawford and um, what Crawford and Tom, you're supposed to get forward and just make, make, make things happen or 
pass it around until there's a space open for maybe Gordon to be running down the wing or or Delfonso gets in a bit of space to whip it in or find a pass through to Doyle. It feels like it needs to be more like that, but but it doesn't. But it doesn't feel that way sometimes. It's. It, I, I look. I look at the Sheffield United system because it seems to me that that's what he wants to do. Given that he was desperate for the centre backs to be starting the attacks in the Forest Green game, hmm. and obviously with Sheffield United, you've got um, O'Connell and Basham either side of of a holding centre half, which we presume is going to be Baptiste. Whether that's right or wrong, and it remains to be seen. But to do with that in the Sheffield United role, all of their midfielders are holding players. All of the width and all the attacking is done by the two fullbacks and the two centre halves, who sort of do on on rushing runs. Having a Crawford and a White in the midfield, who are probably a bit more attack attack minded, it's almost like there's two systems going on at the same time. And neither of them seem to be working at the moment. Well, that's why we bring up emphasising needing a specialised DM in there because they need to be the player that fills in the hole whenever, say, you've got Santos and and Taft as your left or right centre backs. Whenever they get forward, you need one of them filling in so you can keep Gordon uh, as a left wing back still pushing up, and Delfonso as the as a left-handed striker, he can go make runs in and around the box to open up more room. You need players like that to fill in the holes, and right now, because they're all running about like headless chickens. It's not none of them are doing that. Like, like whenever, you, t- like whenever think- Taff got forward at left centre back, it was always Tom White filling the hole, and he's not a DM. You can tell, even though he can hold the ball well, he's he's not that defensively sound when when he's when when he's being rushed onto him. No, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, I think an element of that comes in the lack of responsibility and the lack of uh, of, of end product that Crawford's shown as well. I've been. As much as disappointed as I've been with a couple of the new signings, I think he's really been disappointing, and and I hate to be, you know, to be the voice of extreme negativity more often than not. But his signing, his re-signing, was meant to be the the beacon of, of everything good that we were going to be doing because you've got this creative player who, who can pull the strings in the midfield. I, I don't know if he's got it in him. I, I've, I've seen flashes. Have we seen enough consistently? No, I, I don't. I'd argue. I'd argue. I'd argue against anybody that says that he's been he's been you know on form this season or even on form since joining the club. To be perfectly honest with you, have we seen more than a couple of games on the trot where he's been half decent? I think he really needs to improve and improve quick as well because that a player of that undoubted quality on on form could be the difference in this sort of tight division where the majority of midfield to follow the likes of Comley, you know, that the, the, the with respect the players who get the ball, move it on to those who can do something with it. I think he's another one that could do with pulling his socks up and pretty quick. Yeah, his set pieces have not nearly been good enough, especially in the the two big free kick chances that he's had. He's tried to, he's tried to shoot it or place it in around the top corner. In the end, it just seems mm. like a waste opportunity, especially when we've got seven foot tall bloody defenders to whip, whip the ball into. And a striker allegedly who thrives on service, service that he's not providing at the moment. I have to admit, I thought in the Forest Green game when he came on, he um, he did make a bit of a difference. He forced a good save out of the goalkeeper, was looking to try and create things, put balls into the box. And obviously in the in the crew game, he set up Miller's goal. Um, but in the Colchester game, having clamoured for him to start, I've been quite excited to see him on the team sheet. Really, really poor. Really poor. And and again, I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's you can blame it all on the manager in that instance. I think in that case, you're just being let down by a player who you maybe have hung your hat on because we can go on to the cows come home about how Doyle and Delfonso are thriving off scraps at the moment. He's the kind of person who needs to be providing the ammunition. Doyle hasn't scored yet because, I th- well, he's missed one or two big chances, which I think he was very, very keen to get his first goal especially in the second chance that he got nicked off Sarcevic's foot, basically, to try and just break a duck, as it were. But you can't blame him for anything in the Colchester game because, if memory serves, didn't get a sniff of goal. And we have to be providing that opportunity for a bloke that we have decided to bring in probably on fairly big money, especially given you know we're not getting an awful lot of income at the moment. He's the person who needs to be firing us towards the top of this division at the moment. He's not getting any help whatsoever. No, definitely not. And then again, that point points back to the the Sartovich and to Crawford being those that I would have expected to have been able to provide that ammunition for him, even the wing backs to an extent. I mean, I know Hickman did well in the cup game and did did okay at weekend, um, but I, I find 
it unlikely, knowing what I know about Doyle, that that service is going to be from that sort of wing back. I think maybe you you're expecting or you maybe you're banking on something a little bit more subtle to put Doyle in a one on one to give him the chance to do an instinctive sort of finish. But on a positive note, I've been impressed with Delfonso so far. I, I didn't agree. really know what, what to ex- what to expect. Uh, his record isn't phenomenal by any stretch of the imagination, but he's got clever feet. He seems like a willing runner. And he's, he's a lot physically stronger and, and taller than I uh, I seem to remember having seen him play against us for, for various teams over the years. So I do think we're not a million miles away, but I just think we need, need our better players just to have that one game, perhaps where everything clicks and fingers crossed it's on Saturday. And then that confidence will come, I'm sure, with Doyle, given his pedigree and his willingness to, to provide us with some sort of return on that investment is maybe what's caused him to snatch at chances or for things not to quite go his way. But you never know, it might be one of those situations where one goes in and all of a sudden the floodgates open and then we'll be sitting here in three weeks wondering what we're what the hell we were worried about. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's quite early to be this jittery about a Bolton season, but I think because it does feel as though this is a turning point history-wise, we do need to get promoted this season, in my opinion, rather than a lot of the time I think we've gone into a season thinking, oh, we'll just stabilise, we'll just do whatever. This season we need to be promoted, completely and utterly need to be promoted. Mm. And that that was the whole reason why we brought in Crawford, Doyle, Sarcevic as our first three re-signings. And I think a Doyle and Delfonso partnership up front should technically be miles too good for League Two. But the the one player that we haven't mentioned thus far, and I think we probably would have been better coming in talking about when we were talking about the Crawford point, is Ryan Darcy, who is not going to sniff thus far. Um, we've been led to believe, haven't we, James, that Ian Everett doesn't really fancy him. But he, that midfield, where a lot of the time it's quite static and there's not an awful lot of energy in there, it seems to be crying out for him, doesn't it? Uh, I was begging for him to come on against Colchester because Crawford, because like you previously mentioned, Crawford was completely anonymous in that game. I thought, Darcy, if, if he had allowed him the chance to come on, it could have been his chance to say, look, I know you're young, I know I'm young, and I know that I've not maybe played as well as you've hoped either in the pre-seasons or whatever that's all speculation from my point of view but if he'd just given him a chance given him about 20 minutes to, co- to cover for Crawford and just be like alright just go do your thing try and get us back into this game I think he could have done something not necessarily maybe got us the goal back or whatever but he, he, he would have changed something about that midfield even if it just to prove a point but I can understand Everett's point of view if he thinks he's inexperienced and obviously he was thrust in early he's 19 years old and I'll admit it's myself at points last season I thought hey, he doesn't look quite ready he sometimes just drifts in and out the game and whatnot and he, and he just looks a bit light and too easily bullied at some point so I can understand if Everett sees it from that point of view but but creative but creatively I, I think if anything he should be improve he should be improving and if he's that desperate to replace Darcy surely there's a midfielder out there you can get into replacement then send him out on loan for a year somewhere that possibility has to be there instead of just letting, giving him false hope, letting him rot on the bench and never bringing him on. Yeah, Chris, I know you've had your, your doubts about Darcy because, as James says, there were times last season where he did flirt in, in and out of games and mm. wasn't particularly consistent. But there has to be a place in this team for him, especially given the midfield being having been so underwhelming so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I, get, I love getting us carried away by young attacking talent that we brought through. As anyone, I just think in the cold light of day, you struggle last season to, to nominate maybe, you know, more than two or three moments over the course of the, the, the 20 odd games he played. Other than a nice little turn, a nice little flick or a pass here or there where Darcy really, really took took a game by the scruff of the neck. I, I used to feel the same about Mark Davies, a, a wonderful player to watch, but one who on his own or, or is, you know, in, in a consistent run, he's maybe not going to provide you with those moments on a regular basis and I wonder whether Everett thinks that League 2 or the midfield that he's got Darcy just isn't isn't up to it just yet and, and I don't think it's a bad thing at all that the supporters get excited and get carried away by that because attacking players are the ones that excite you full stop it's not the defenders nobody gives a toss about defenders but I, I worry about Darcy just a little bit and I don't want to I want him to succeed I really really do and those moments that I mentioned before that got you out of your seat, were fantastic. I just wonder whether Everett thinks that he just maybe can't trust him to replicate those on a, a more regular basis where he maybe feels more confident that White or, or Comley or whoever in that midfield 
can be more consistent than him. So I've no doubt he'll get his chance over the course of the season. I'm just maybe not as disappointed, if that's the right word, disappointed as you guys that he hasn't had his chance yet. No, I understand. His time will come. It's a long season. Exactly. It, exactly. There's a lot of games to be played. Um, I, I, I merely look at that midfield and think the one thing that we've been lacking has been energy. And regardless of you know whether or not the quality is there for a full 90 minutes, he was certainly not short of running around trying to snap at the heels of people, get no, some life into the side, which, frankly, where I'm sure Sarcevic will prove his worth to us as he has done at League 2 every time he's played at this level. There's certainly not an awful lot of energy coming from him in that midfield, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, we have to have to trust in it at the moment. No one's calling for a sacking this early. And, and, um, and I think we all got the manager that we wanted to get. So we can't really complain about it going the way it has done so far because there is, as you say, a lot of time left for it to be turned around. Um, obviously, we've talked about the Colchester game and how, how disappointing it was. Um, but one of the things that Ian Everett came out and said in the aftermath, James, was that we dominated the game even though we lost 2-0. Is is he going down the route of being Keith, a bit Keith Hilly there? <laughs> uh, well, he didn't. I don't remember him making any silly metaphors, so probably not. <laughs> um, if he was just talking about the first half, I'd agree because I thought we played quite well in the first half, to be honest. Even if we didn't score, it it was it really was just down to Santos completely switching off for the third time in two games that 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 made us concede. We we created. We created loads of chances in first half. Second half, I don't. I definitely don't agree that we dominated the game. We probably dominated possession. We didn't dominate the game. Colchester, even though they didn't defend amazingly on that day, they held us back, but we didn't really threaten them much by just passing it in and around the back. We, we barely got the ball into the box. And yeah, I don't agree that we dominated, dominated the game because to dominate the game, you have to create a lot more chances than we did. If we dominated the first half, then yeah, I'll agree with that. But not the whole game. Not not even close. What concerns me about a comment like that is that I've seen us quote-unquote dominate a lot of games in the past where we've conceded early um, and then just had a load of meaningless possession in the midfield and around our, our defence. And because a possession stat says something like 55 to 45% possession, that the manager comes out and says, oh, we dominated the game. And that seems to be what we're doing at the moment, isn't it, Chris? There's a lot of meaningless possession there without an awful lot of incision. Yeah, the comments are a little bit Sammy Lee-ish at the minute. But then again, he's he's, he's making his ways. Obviously, thinks a lot about himself, which isn't a bad thing as to, in terms of for manager having that sort of self-confidence. It's, it's a fine line, I must say. I, I, the management speak, the kind of way he carries himself, is very self-assured. I think it may be is a little bit on the edge of parody sometimes in the in how earnest he is about uh, about the game and about what he sees. I think not to say that I want my League Two manager to only be talking about pumping it long up to the big man and catching the the, the knockdowns and playing percentages and all that in all the way kind of rubbish. Um, I just would feel a lot better about his quirkiness. I would say quirkiness in some respects, or maybe is is the fact he's just so different to what we've had before. I'll I'll care a lot less about that when the results start coming in, I think, most definitely. I know that's not really the question you answered, but that's what was on my mind anyway. No, it's fair enough. I, I think it, what is concerning is we don't want him coming out in these press conferences after we've got beat Absolutely. and saying we, did, we, dom- and we dominated the game. Well, I don't care. You don't get any lost. points for that, do you? Exactly. Exactly. Does it worry that he's not coming out and condemning how soft the goals that we've conceded are? Uh, I hope he would be doing that behind closed doors. I, I, I don't necessarily need to have my uh, own opinion of the game validated by the manager saying the same sort of thing. You know, I think it's obvious to everyone watching that the defending has been problematic at best, shall we say? I don't That's need to come out. Very kind. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, these people haven't had much chance to offend me yet, so let's be nice. Um, <laughs> I think there's, there's the, I would hope that behind doors he's tearing strips off him, especially the ones that he's thinking are going to be his main men. But going back to what you said 10, 15 minutes ago about Delaney, for example, um, I just wonder about the, the chopping and changing. A defence being settled has always been one of those perennial sticking points of a decent team, hasn't it? You know, like the Arsenal back four, that kind of thing. Steve Bruce and Pallister playing together. You can't pick a Wanderers back line at the minute without having some serious reservations about who's going to be playing where. I would have Delaney in there as 
my first choice, and then probably Baptiste alongside him. Santos and Taft, not that uh, impressed so far. I wonder whether maybe sticking with it, letting people develop partnerships, that sort of thing might be the way forward. Granted, it doesn't give many opportunities to those who maybe other people might think deserve them, or you know, Darcy, for example, or, or Miller up front. But these things take time, and yet again, we've got a brand new squad with 17, 18 signings, and we're Maybe we were a little bit naive in expecting them to hit the ground running. I'm not sure. But this point has been made, to be fair, about how we sort of looked at names and we mm. sort of got caught up in the excitement and thought didn't actually think about the fact that realistically when you throw a team together it doesn't gel as quickly as you presume it will. You know, it's not football manager. If it was football manager it'd be delightful. But um I, I think we've gotta pick a settled back line. I completely agree with you on that one. But it is difficult when you've brought in all these new defenders who are all vying for the same position to then not put noses out of joint. If you then decide, right, my first choice back three is going to be Santos, Baptiste and Taft mm-hmm. or whoever it is. Because then I, I don't know how you manage to sell it to the rest of the players and keep squad morale high. James, do you, do you think squad rotation is the biggest issue here? or Do you, do you think realistically it's just the system they've got to get used to? Uh, it's probably a combination of both because squad rotation is going to be important for this season. Even if we've been knocked out of um, the Carabao Cup at the moment, we still have a lot of games to play. We've still got at least two more EFL Trophy games, still have an FA Cup game to play. And the season's been more compressed by this whole COVID situation starting in September instead of August. So the games are going to come thick and fast. So squad rotation is going to have to be important because you can't play the, the kind of high-pressing attacking game especially in a back three where the defenders are going to have to do a bit more running you can't you can't play that kind of system and expect the same three defenders to be playing every single game especially not even Baptiste who we know who has had two horrible leg injuries in his career which is really going to affect the amount of games he's going to be playing this season I will say I think thus far he's probably been our best defender yeah I mean you know it's the shiniest turd out of a load of turds but it's still (laughs) the shiniest one yeah, yeah. What do you boys think about the What do you boys think about the goalkeeper? I, I was going. He 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 was who I was going to come on to next because mm. I, yeah. I think the the second goal in the Colchester game was a big concern for me because it's it, it sort of reinforced my concerns about him that I had before, when when we found out he was going to be our number one. Thing is, yeah, I think the the lack of sorry, James, go after you, mate. Yeah, I was about to say. Thing is, outside of that one that one game that that one error. I actually think he's done really well as Krellin. He's made some really good saves so far. And uh, Remy Matthews made a lot of good saves. No, yeah, but Did I, he? I, I, <laughs> on a more consistent basis, I mean, like any chance, it, like up, whether it's been up close or, or from afar, most of the time he's done all right with them. And one of my favourite things about him, which we've not had a keeper in a goddamn long time, as soon as he as soon as he gets the ball, say he catches it from a corner, he's always looking to throw it out immediately and try and start a quick counter which I've been begging for from our keepers for the last god knows how many years so I'm really happy with that part of this game it was I think that'll be the England youth coaching that he's got because it seems to be the kind of yeah thing it's they, modern they way them. isn't it exactly mm. they, te- they teach them very early with that kind of stuff yeah well really well realistically it should, should talk be, to, be taught to all keepers but, that, but, that, but that's just my view uh, I can forgive uh, a mistake like that because of his youth and he and he is only going to get better the more games he plays. I definitely feel that. I think he's entitled to a mistake to like that. And because, because quite frankly, you can tell that he has the ability as a goalkeeper. Does it worry you though, Chris, that he's he's not got any competition really? Uh, well, that was going to be my precise point. I, I don't yeah. mind having a youngster as a, as a goalkeeper, especially one that appears to be so highly thought of. Uh, but there may be times in the season where we need to take him out of the firing line. And, and, and who have we got to bring in? But somebody even younger and even less experienced, and, and you know, perhaps not anywhere near as good. We, we don't truthfully know. Um, I know we've got Jilks there as an option, but it doesn't seem one. That's one that's likely to be employed at any time. Um, but like James said, I, I think when he's been good, he's been great, and I, and I like the fact that he's he's progressive and he's, he looks to be on the front foot. Um, and maybe when our wing backs and wingers and attackers can start taking advantage of that through their own comfort with the way that he plays we can we can really see some positive movement going forward but yeah I think I put the the, the goal that lobbed over his head at weekend down to inexperience but again an element in there makes me think that the communication's not the best 
between the, the uh, an ever changing back line and the, no. and the goalkeeper. There's no relationship have, there. Might, They've not been able to establish no, it, it at all. It, it might have stopped that happening had, had things been slightly different. Yeah, I, I think, as you say, there's no relationship there and it must be very difficult to mm. properly communicate with people in front of you who you don't know, you really don't know yet and you don't know who they're going to be week in, week out. I think, like I said, the, the only person who's looked relatively settled in that back line has been Baptiste so far. But as James has mentioned, with his age and his injury record, I don't think he's the person that we can rely on for uh, stability, certainly. Um, the, the last thing I'd say about the, the Colchester game, lads, is um, it's now four games in. Owen Doyle hasn't scored yet. Do we think there's been a bit too much pressure being put on him in the press and that might be why he's sort of trying too hard or just not getting the service? What do we think the main issue is? You you take that one, James, by all means. Uh, well, I think it's probably a cop-out answer, but it's it's a combination of both. But if I choose one of the things, it's probably lack of service. Mm-hmm. He's been limited to at best two chances per game, which is not ideal for a goal poacher like that. Um, and some at some points he's had to try and create his own his own chances, which isn't the best because his game's not to try and hold up the ball and wait for everyone else to get get up the field to try and service him with an attack, which is which has sometimes been the case for quite a few of the games. His game is just to be that fox in the box. He's supposed to move past defenders and. And set you know send them for send them for hot dogs with clever runs when he gets into space. He mm-hmm. yeah for me he's been side for service. He pr- he maybe should have scored from one or two of his chances so far. Maybe that would have given him a boost in confidence at the moment. But I, I think, think he I, snatched at them. I really think he snatched at them. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Well, with the size of its chance, I think uh, size of its got in his way really before he could make a proper run. But that's just me. The one against, the one against Crew, though, that 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 one concerned me a bit. Yeah, th- yeah, I'll, I'd be lying and saying what the fuck, but <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, sometimes, sometimes these goal poaching strikers, you just have to wait a bit because when because like you mentioned, Chris, as soon as they score one, sometimes the floodgates open. We saw it with Lafondra twice in both his spells with us, so. Yeah, he does come across, doesn't he, as one of those streaky strikers like Leon Clark or someone like yeah. that. Yeah, I remember Lee mentioning the same thing um, for, in his season with Swindon. In one game, he, what was it? He got 11 in a row. He, yeah. 11 in a row in games for Swindon. And then when he re-signed back in January, he didn't get nearly as many when he returned. So it, it's hard. I'd it's be happy with one in a row at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I it's think part... Yeah, go on, Chris. I, I think part of his struggles come from his desperation to do well and desperation to to prove that he's worth the money we spent. Like I said earlier, oh, I agree. Uh, and, and I, I do. I, I think you, you you know you're dead right, James, in what you've said that uh, maybe his desire to to do as much as he possibly can to help the team isn't actually helping the team because we need him to be up the top, hanging around on the edge of that six yard box around the penalty spot or whatever, waiting for those balls to drop in. And then who better to finish him than someone that scored 20-odd goals in that same spot last season? Um, fingers crossed that they could be the day. You, just, you never know. Strikers are streaky little things, aren't they? Yeah, he needs to sort of be told, I think. And this is where we talk about how the system's not settled and probably we need, it takes time before all those relationships get established. But yeah. Delfonso is the person who should be doing all of those extra runs into the channels, etc., etc. I don't want Owen Doyle when we're attacking to move from that six-yard box. And at the moment, he's, as James has said, he's searching for the opportunities because you can tell there's a real desperation to score. And frankly, Absolutely. I mean, you, you might disagree with me here, Chris. I think Everett's put way too much pressure on him so far. He might be a 32-year-old who's long, long enough in the tooth to deal with that kind of thing. But I think to constantly come out every single time there's a game and he's not scored, oh, he'll score 20 on this season, he'll score 20 on this season. I don't think it's helping the situation at all. Mm. But yeah, I, I can see both sides of it. I mean, how many... Years of the old talk about Harry Redknapp is putting an arm around a player and, and making him feel like the best player in the world, even if it is Nico Cole, uh, Nico Cranchar. Um, it might work, it might not. I mean, we, I don't really know anything about Doyle's personality, but well, he fought Jim sure. Beckford, so that's a plus. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it, we haven't got anyone else to put in in the side apart from uh, from Miller, who I think is injured at the minute anyway. So it's not like he's going anywhere. So let's let's hope it really does. Uh, it does come off. I'd be happy with one going in off his backside, and I'm sure he would be too, just to get that monkey off his back. Yeah, I'd, I'd give nothing more than for the, the Newport goalkeeper to throw one in his own net so we get a 1-0 <laughs> win on Saturday. 
Um, we're certainly a striker light, though. I think I think that's that's another point. We we, we need to be bringing in somebody else because we can't be relying on on Farla and Moateng to come in and, and provide a no. re- relatively regular stream of goals because it's just it's just not fair to put that pressure on them. Um, the last thing I would say before we move on to the other really really negative news, because as you've probably gathered so far, listeners, it's only been the semi-negative stuff that we've we've t- touched on so far. Do we think Everett is under pressure, or do we think that's an unfair thing to say? James, I'll go to you first. Uh, if he's if he's under any kind of pressure, it's probably more self-imposed pressure to try and get try and get the first points of the board because that'll just lift up the place entirely. But if you're talking pressure in regards to his position, I think you'd be completely delusional to think he's under any kind no, of serious ab- pressure. Absolutely. When I say when I say pressure, I mean do you, do you reckon he's sort of working out that it's not Barrow anymore? It's Bolton Wanderers with the kind of spotlight that comes with it, and you're four games in, you've lost all four of them. Do you think there is a pressure there that he might be struggling with? Maybe not struggling. Maybe he'll have. To, maybe he's still adapting to it. That 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 might be a fair shout. But struggling? No, no. I I think I think because he's got, he'll have the confidence of the board behind him, um, and and how much he's been back so far, and how much even the, how much some of the fans are coming out to defend him, even when he's even when he's taught bigging us up and stuff like that and it's and it tends to backfire in our face. I, I think I I don't I think he's I think he's fine myself. I don't I don't think there's anything to worry about with regarding Ever. It's just a kit it's probably better to judge him when he's more ten, fifteen games down the line and then if it's still not working by then then you can start talking a bit more seriously. Fair enough. Chris, we lose this weekend, five losses in a row. How serious is it for you? It's not great, is it? Let's face it. Even now, it's not great. And I think he, he should be feeling pressure. But like I totally agree with what James said. I think it's the, it's the manner of him imposing that upon himself. I think there'll always be an element online of those who, who can't let go with the fact that, oh, we are both the wonders. Look at our fancy, shiny stadium. Why are we not turning these people over 5-0 every week? Um, I'll hold my hand up and admit that I'm one of those. I was just going to say, all people who, who make love the little HMS Pistol League Titanic memes online, which I find <laughs> incredibly amusing, <laughs> only because they've got that absolute schadenfreude uh, potential inherent within their creation that uh, maybe we didn't think about back in the day when everything was great, when we were beating Loughborough under-9s, uh, 10-0 or whatever it was. What um, university hope- did you go to where they had an under-9s team? Uh, maybe that's just the way I played football. It was uh, very childlike. The, the the pressure that he feels is 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 evident in the uncertainty in his selection as well being an issue. I think it's the fact that he's maybe the the enormity of the job is is really really hit home. He could have had conversations with the the board before he started about the upheaval recently about the 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 stakes in terms of finances that are resting upon success this season. And this is a guy who, in his short managerial career, has really known nothing but success. And so to now have a, have a reasonably sustained period where he's not had that, and, you know, he, he was his famous words before the game at weekend, I know what's wrong and I know how to fix it. Well, Christ, um, I hope he's not going to come and, uh, and say anything like that similar before the game on Saturday. He might be better off just keeping his mouth shut. Yeah, uh, that but I think it will really, yeah, really be a test of how, uh, of how we can back up his, his talk. Um, and for his sake and, and for everyone's sake, I hope it comes when it comes right soon because you know that we as a collective fan base are not shy of, uh, of pushing the panic button if it's not already, we haven't already got our fingers hovering over the top of it. No, absolutely. Although I would like to just sort of you know bookend this, this part of the podcast by saying we do know that we've talked about nothing but negative stuff, but we also would like to make it very, very clear that this isn't just, you know, negative LOV, as, as anyone on Twitter would most likely be calling us right about now if they're listening to this. Um, hold your tweet. I do just want to say we still completely and utterly back the manager. We still completely and utterly back the team, but it would be remiss of us to not go into what has been quite a problematic start to this season because... That is our job. It's our job to be critical of the side. It's our job to criticise when there are things to criticise. When he starts winning games 5-0 and HMS Pistol League has fixed that hole in the boat and we can get <laughs> going again, jobs are good in. Yeah, so, but, um, yeah, yeah. It seems like some, some fans are seeming to associate criticism with just outright negativity and it's completely not the case. Like Whenever I've tweeted out something like, 
criticise the manager. I, I think we've been poor in the first half. I don't think any of our defenders have done enough. It's not it's not personal shots, is it? It's not personal shots at in Everett's style. It's not it's not hounding for his head. And whenever you post a picture of the Titanic sinking with the Bolton flag on it and HMS Pistol E, <laughs> it's no, it's just it's nothing more than a bit of light-eyed banter. Yet, so, yeah, some people seem to take it as divisive or. Oh, yeah, and if you can't laugh at yourself as a Bolton fan, you're never going to get anywhere. The old point is the the HMS Pistol League. The, the, surely the funniest thing in the world that could have happened was that that you know nobody saw that iceberg coming metaphorically or in reality. Exactly. Of course it does. Of course it does. Otherwise, you drive yourself mad. All these, these you know these the, the kids online who've never known anything uh, but the last sort of seven or eight years combined with those that have been around for, for a little bit longer and have seen the ups and the downs, you just got to treat it all with a pinch of salt. It's, it's only a game, flipping it. Yeah, it's like exactly. I said, it's nothing, it's nothing serious until maybe if it keeps happening 15 games down the line, then then you can maybe take it with a pinch of salt. But right now, it's it's nothing, it's nothing serious. Exactly. No. Realistically, we're looking forward to this Saturday and there is a, every chance that we'll come away with a good result and this entire conversation will be forgotten. But... Um, it is. It's just worth putting out there. We do have to criticise the team when there is a lot to criticise. But of course, we all want us to win football matches. As I've said, if whoever the Newport goalkeeper is, it used to be Joe Dare. Can't for the life of me think who it is now. Wants to score an own goal for us. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, fingers, but, fingers crossed. They've had a. They get a cup hangover from beating Watford. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. On the oh, on the topic of uh, online criticism, I'd be interested to know your boys' uh, take on the uh, Sartovic issue shall we call it where uh, he, he, the criticism I, I mean I don't don't haven't read anything too drastic but uh, was deemed to be enough to force him to, to shut his account down for a few hours but that, this that's that's the thing you know the thought occurred that maybe it was a topic worth a discussion but he shut down for a few hours was back the next day taking aim at people who clearly had just said some horrible things to him he's big enough and daft enough to be able to deal with that and frankly you know he did have a crap game in the forest green game I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that but you know it doesn't account for people going after his weight, going after every, every single aspect of his character and personality. When let's be honest, we all absolutely adored him in the summer when he came out on that podcast and said how amazed he was that he got to represent Bolton Wanderers. So you know, I, th- I think as, as we've said, it's all it's a football match at the end of the day. It's a football team. We have to criticise when there's stuff to criticise, but the kind of personal stuff like that needs to be kept kept out of it. I'm afraid, and you know, anyone listening to this who was part of that, you know. Sort yourselves out, lads. Yeah, besides, <coughs> besides ben, him, ben BWFC. Yeah, besides. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, besides him, him leaving was um is it's probably just a case of you know there's no better way to get away from it all than just not being active on not being around on the site for a few hours. There's nothing more effective, really, is there? Exactly. Why why they've got active active accounts that aren't private for them and their friends. That's so that's that's available for everyone to tag you in. It, it, it's beyond me. If I was in charge of the football club, the first thing I'd do would be, you know, have a have a social media account by all means, but don't have it as a public one. You're just yeah. inviting uh, inviting that sort of uh, incessant attack, uh, attacking, um, enabling, I guess, from people out there in the real world to vent their feelings behind from behind a computer. It's uh, it's daft. Yeah, everyone's six foot six and built like a shit house behind a computer screen, aren't they? We are. But, that's right. <laughs> but but you know, it it is what it is. We have to move on, and hopefully he has moved on. And I look forward to seeing him back in the bottom team much sooner rather than later. Um, I think it's come to that point in, in the podcast, boys, because obviously it would be remiss of us to not talk about the rather gigantic elephant in the room. Uh, sorry, Boris. Uh, it has been a pretty awful week for all football fans in this country. After hearing the news yesterday, as we record this, that no football fans are going to be allowed back into stadia from October the 1st, as was previously promised by the government some time ago. Loads of clubs have been working very, very hard towards this point. They've been setting up their stadia so that they can actively follow social distancing regulations, get fans back in, a much-needed revenue stream, especially at our level and at League One and probably the majority of the championship as well. They need fans in the stadium. They need bums on on seats. They need the money. And frankly, football without fans has proven thus far to be a rather rubbish product. I'm just going to read a couple, uh, just a, a paragraph from the statement that the Colchester chairman released today about it. And 
as he says, as a professional football club, we are compelled to comply with the regulations, guidance and measures of the Sports Ground Safety Authority and we cannot open our stadium unless a safety advisory group made up of relevant representatives, including a medical professionals, certify us as being safe. It is these people's responsibility to determine whether a stadium is safe for people to come in, whether or not it's for COVID-19 or because we don't have any stewards or for whatever reason. Bolton obviously have had a run-in with the SAG in the past. I think it was the Ipswich game, memory serves, that almost got cancelled. But basically, the government have decided to make a blanket decision, regardless of location in this country, regardless of uh, the COVID risk, to just stop all fans coming in and basically cut clubs' legs off when they'd spent such a long time preparing for this moment. I put it to you, lads, this is absolutely ludicrous decision. Uh, this isn't a political podcast. Political leanings don't matter on this whatsoever. But when it comes to football, as this issue does relate massively to football, they've got this massively, massively wrong, haven't they, James? Uh, I as soon as I heard that statement, I I was in. I had two different thoughts about it. One, obviously, being a fan, like I, I could understand it, if they want to if if they want to talk about the rates of COVID in Bolton and maybe just delay our our entry as fans into that stadium. Then I, even though I wouldn't agree with that, I could at least understand their logic from that point of view because it's like because obviously Bolton's at the moment has been a high risk area. So if if they just wanted to select certain areas to to delay fans' entry. Uh, I could understand, but to make it a completely blanket decision is absolutely ridiculous, especially when a lot of the smaller clubs, like you said, like obviously we read out from Colchester there, and Colchester, as we know from getting Brandon Comley, um, they've had to get rid of some of their players just to just to bounce the books during this time, and if they have to delay any further, uh, getting getting big profits in from bigger away days and stuff like that. They're going to be absolutely ruined, and it's just going to further heat pressure on the on the EFL and whatnot. So, yeah, it's a ridiculous decision from that point of view, and I'm sure some of you boys can get it further in that. But at the same, but from another point of view, um, I also work part time at Manchester United um, as a as a bartender. So I'm I'm as a centre back. <laughs> no, they should hire me. I'm better than Harry Maguire, but anyway. You got a big enough head, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky bugger. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of clubs that hire people like me on zero hour contracts, and especially during this COVID situation where full time jobs seemingly are at a premium, so people like me rely on those match days to just have that little bit of extra income so we can keep going. And you and you cut in. God knows how many jobs away from people by just making it a blanket decision not to allow fans back into the stadium. It's it's completely ludicrous, whether it's from a fan's point of view or from an employee's point of view. I, I don't understand what what they're doing. I don't think any of us have understood what they've been doing this entire time, to be honest mm. with you. And it, Chris, yeah, go on, Chris. No, no, I, I just refuse to be surprised by anything the Conservatives do in any stretch of life. Enemies of the people, my friend. Enemies of the people. <laughs> so my they don't understand. not being a political podcast has gone out No, they, they just don't... There's no correlation between any actions they take and, and what benefits the, the, the regular guy on the street. So, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, th- I think the only thing that we can say is this is our only platform to be able to get our opinions out there and be, be able to be heard You know, as fans... And how ludicrous this situation is. Obviously, no one is saying, you know, we're not completely heartless people who are saying, sod the lives of everybody, let's go out and watch football and just do willy-nilly things without any kind of thought for the next man. But when it makes such, when there's such a lack of um, conscious effort to support people who have been struggling like hell for six months to try and make ends meet as you've mentioned there James it's not just the playing staff that Colchester United have had to cut they had to cut almost 300 jobs or something according to Robbie Cowling and it will be the same for pretty much every club in our in our league or the league above or as I said in the championship the fact that they decide to fill pubs the fact that they decide you know to do grouse shooting or whatever the hell it is that Boris wants to do at the weekends they've never been to a football stadium in their life most of these people and they're making decisions that are killing big big employers in very very key sectors in in this country there has to be some way that we as fans can make a difference and appeal to 
you know the sense that is going on there but as you've said chris maybe there is no sense with these people i'm just hoping they use no. it like they have done thousands of times <laughs> well exactly that's the only that's the only positive thing we yeah, can come sorry, from this they've made so many different decisions <laughs> no, big on, show big show-esque in the number of turns that have been going on but what well, one comment about uh, about the colchester situation i was very disappointed having read the message on uh, on social media last night having been directed to it by my mate um the number of Bolton fans responding with, oh, how massive are we? You know, oh, no, completely, completely missing the point that with the, the lack of uh, of equal sharing of the wealth across the leagues, yeah, there, there will be no league because the clubs are on their arse. You know, it's not it's not funny that we've taken 99% of the share of Colchester's, uh, what, you know, what Colchester might have earned from that, that game. It's not funny in the slightest bit. I can't believe it wasn't a 50-50 split from uh, well, uh, from I, I, purchases. That's yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely. But I, I thought the response to some uh, some supporters reveling in the fact that we'd we'd rinse this uh, this struggling club of, of of as much money as we possibly could as being something that was in any way positive was was really poor form on behalf of those that did. Uh, hopefully, we won't be in the situation where we're on the other side of the coin where we we play somebody. And we end up with nothing because then they won't be laughing. Then I tell you that. No, absolutely not. I, there, there is no winners in this situation from a footballing perspective. Nobody is coming out of this in, in a positive light. And it would be nice to think that there was a government out there or an, or a governing body like the EFL, because I presume it is the EFL's prerogative to d- decide how I follow money is split up. It would be nice to think that there'd be someone in either of those two organisations who actually gives a shit about how the welfare of clubs, fans, and basically anyone to do with football but we can only sort of just voice our opinion voice our concern about the situation this is the platform that we have to do that and i did feel that it was necessary to make a comment on it um but boys we have to look ahead to the weekend the newport county game um they obviously beat watford in the week are we concerned that we're going to get absolutely battered by a team who kill off championship sides james uh well cup results done always matter in terms of league form so I'm I'm hoping not uh, I'm hoping that they'll be more tired after after playing a game like that because they only have 3 days of rest in between the games and we have, and we've had a whole week so hopefully that might play in our favor of being fitter and ho- hopefully like Everett says he'll be learning his lessons from the Colchester game and it'll start clicking more we'll be able to create more chances uh, in this game it we can, all, we can only hope, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. In regards to Newport, I can't say I know that much about them. I hope Padre- we're going to say that every time we talk about our opposition, <laughs> aren't we? Unfortunately, I think I, I, as I mentioned in the chat, I only know about three players. Amon, I know he's experienced at this level. I've seen him play for Stanley. He's an all right striker, but not, but nothing special. But at the same time, sometimes experienced strikers are the ones that cause you the most problems, of, as we saw. With um, as we saw last season with Wilbraham against Adam Senior, to turning him inside out. Uh, Dimitri is an experienced defender at this level. He's he's solid enough, so hopefully he he won't be on Daryl's case too much. But we'll see. And then Josh, and then Josh Sheehan. He, oh yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, he's he's coming with a lot of promise at League Two level as a midfielder. So. Hopefully we can find some way of dealing with him, and he hopefully we can stop him from seeing too much of the ball. But outside of that, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't look good form wise for us. Delightful, Chris. Have you got any kind of optimism with this? Uh, well, I've never heard of any of those players, so uh, fingers crossed they're all absolutely hopeless. No, no, this is going to be the game where it all clicks. Uh, everything's going to go just however intended. We're all going to sit back on uh, on Monday morning and wonder what we're ever concerned about because the future is incredibly bright. Or how won't. high are you? <laughs> I, no, no, it it's just won't. Trying to or it won't. I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking it can't carry on any longer, and I'm hoping it doesn't because uh, otherwise next week's podcast is going to be even worse. I might as well, uh, might as well start drinking now. It can't carry on any longer is the same attitude I've had since 2012. Um, My wife says still... the same. <laughs> for, for very different reasons. Um, yeah, I think we've come to a natural conclusion there, boys. I, I, I think we're going to be able to turn it around against Newport, but I say that every week. So let's hope for the best. Um, thank you very much for joining me, gents. Uh, it's been a very, very depressing podcast, uh, <laughs> um, but we've got to the end of it, and nobody's died. So that, that's you know one positive thing to take away from it. 
Um, and thank you very much for listening, everyone, to episode 151 of the Line of the Industry podcast. There'll be Love Pod previews out for you to listen to. And Chris, I presume there'll be some Love Pod rewinds to come out fairly soon as well, maybe? Yeah, that's the intention. Hopefully, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we can kick that back off and uh, and start looking back to a time when we were we were happy. I, exactly. I miss being happy. Some... <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? I've never heard I was that before I came on here anyway, flipping heck. <laughs> I'm going to go and find a tall building to stand at the top of and see what I think. (laughs) Just admire the view. Just admire the view. Um, That's right. That's a a lovely way to end the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've managed to be a bit more positive than we have and have got to the end of it without anything negative happening. Um, And we'll hopefully speak to you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. See you later.